If you're like me and enjoy tales from the darker side of history, then get yourself on a forbidden Vancouver walking tour. Your guide will share tales of mobsters, riots, corruption, bootlegging, hidden treasure and unsolved murder as you explore Vancouver's most interesting nooks. From the back streets and alleyways of Victorian Gastown to the forested trails of Stanley Park. Forbidden Vancouver's had over 1,500 five-star reviews on TripAdvisor and are winners of the prestigious City of Vancouver Heritage Medal of Honour. Book tickets at ForbiddenVancouver.com and save 15% on your booking using the code COLDCASE. This is Cold Case Canada, the murder of Evelyn Roche. Evelyn was murdered on the way home from the bus, just two blocks from her East Vancouver home. It's a case that really haunted me. All the newspaper stories said was that she was a 39-year-old widow with two young teenagers and that she'd recently remarried. I wanted to know what had happened to her two children, how their lives had turned out. Cold Case Canada is an independently produced true crime podcast hosted by Eve Lazarus, a reporter and author based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Vancouver of the 1950s was still a small town in many respects. People didn't lock their doors and they knew their neighbours. It was a decade of the first Corvette and the 1957 Chevy. And because television was still a novelty, people were staying home on Saturday nights. They were watching Father Knows Best, Leave It to Beaver, Hockey Night in Canada, or maybe Front Page Challenge. When I was writing my book Cold Case Vancouver, people would often say to me that Vancouver was so much safer in the good old days. Well, it wasn't. Vancouver had a violent streak and a string of sexual predators. The city was a particularly dangerous place for children, immigrants, gay men and women. Women in particular had been given a taste of independence and access to decent jobs during the war years. Earlier in the decade, a man dubbed the Love Bandit by the press had terrorised women in Vancouver for four years by stalking them, cutting their telephone wires, breaking into their homes and kissing them. By the time the ex-policeman was caught, he'd attacked 30 women. In 1955, the first year that the Vancouver Police Department recorded sexual assault separately in the annual report, 17 rapes were reported and seven men were arrested and charged. The rapists received a total of 21 and a half years in prison and 10 lashes each. The following year, there were 25 rapes reported and another seven were attempted. Between December 1957 and February 59, a man known as a Point Grey molester broke into the bedrooms of 17 women in the middle of the night, shone a flashlight into their faces, and while threatening the women with a sheath knife, forced them to strip. While he never raped them, he made them perform various sexual acts. The women described him as young and inexperienced, and part of his signature was to unscrew the light bulb and plunge the room into darkness. Barry McLintock neglected to wear gloves, and was eventually arrested after police lifted fingerprints from a bulb and scored a hit when the youth was caught robbing a bus driver. But it wasn't until the murder of Evelyn Roche on April 3, 1958, 
that the women of Vancouver really knew true fear. Chief Constable George Archer warned the city that a sex fiend was on the loose and he would murder again. The chief warned women not to go out alone at night. A Vancouver Sun article reported, Chief Constable George Archer warned today that Miss Evelyn Roche was murdered by a sex fiend who could strike again at any time. He urged the women who go out at night travel in pairs or arrange to be met by a male escort. The chief also urged citizens to lock basement doors, lock doors to apartments or suites, use door chains, pull blinds when preparing to retire. If attacked, scream loud and long, call police immediately. Miss Roche, mother of two children, was stabbed to death within a block of her home at 2595 East 6th, and her body left in a back lane. Her underclothing was torn. Police believe she was dragged into the lane by her attacker who went into a frenzy when she resisted him and stabbed and slashed her repeatedly. There has been no response to the $1,000 reward offered by the police commission and detectives have exhausted all leads so far. All of this was of little comfort to the family of Evelyn Roche. Evelyn was born in Nelson, B.C. and moved to Vancouver in the early 1940s. Her husband died in a construction site accident leaving her to raise their two children, Sharon and Frank. Evelyn was a hairdresser by trade and entrepreneurial by nature. The family lived near Hornby and Davy Streets in downtown Vancouver, and Evelyn and her best friend Helen Olson ran a small cafe nearby. Sadly, Evelyn's daughter Sharon died in 2017. But with the permission of her brother Frank, I'll be playing clips from the interview that we did in 2014. At that time, Sharon told me that it was a sketchy area where they lived. She remembers one character they just called Red because of his red hair. But she later found out that his real name was Frederick Ducharm. Ducharm was a particularly nasty piece of work. He was convicted of murdering Blanche Fisher, a 45-year-old dress fitter at Woodward's department store in 1949. He was hanged the following year. Evelyn and Helen sold the cafe and opened a variety store on Oak Street and the women bought a rooming house on Commercial Drive and East 11th Avenue. They rented rooms to friends and Evelyn had taken pity on an old man who'd been gassed in the Boer War and she set him up in a room and she used to cook for him. Sharon was just 17 when her mother was murdered. Can you tell me a bit about her? Oh my God, I can tell you a lot about her. She was... uh... She was a single mom for a lot of years because our dad, uh, our, my biological father, worked out of town, and uh, he was an alcoholic and a very abusive man. He's a very jealous, jealous person, and uh, he beat her. He beat us kids. Everybody loved her. She had such a good sense of humor. She had a, a very dry, wry way about her, but funny, funny, funny. Good mom, good cook. Just, she was a, just a good person. You know, when, when she and my stepdad got married, I mean, he, we just adored him. And he was very good to us. He was younger than my mom. And, you know, she welcomed his guys that he worked with. And if they came in from out of town, they were at the house. And she loved to fish. When we went up to the logging camp to visit with my dad on holidays and that, off she'd go up to the creek and fish. She loved it up in the logging camp. I think if us kids had been uh, out of school in that, she would have moved into the, the logging mm. camp with my dad. Evelyn and Helen both got jobs cooking at a logging camp where they'd work 10 days at the camp 
and then were home for five. They hired a housekeeper to take care of the children while they were away. It was at the camp where Evelyn met logger Richard Roche. They married in 1955. You'd just bought that house on Penticton, hadn't you? Just... Yeah, we hadn't been in it for very long at all. That was the sad part because it was a, it was, it was a very nice home. It was in a good neighbourhood. It was just up from Vancouver Tech where we went to school. And it was a really lovely house. And my mum, was, she was just thrilled because it was, you know, fancy compared to what we had before. Just a, a lovely house. She thought she died and gone to heaven. In 1958, Evelyn and Richard decided to buy a place of their own in the Hastings Sunrise neighbourhood of Vancouver. Sharon was 16, Frank was 14, and it was just up from Van Tech where both kids went to school. Now, I wanted to see the house and see where Evelyn had walked that night after she got off the bus. The bus stop is just outside Van Tech, where thousands of teenagers still travel every day. Evelyn would have crossed the road at Penticton Street and headed north to her home three blocks away. Her body was found in a laneway. The crime scene photo is on the cover of my book and the laneway today looks eerily similar to what it was like when Evelyn walked past back in 1958. On the night before Good Friday, the Roaches' realtor dropped by with some papers to sign and they had a celebratory drink to toast the new house. Since Richard couldn't come home for Easter, Evelyn decided to take the bus to the liquor store downtown where she could send him a bottle of Irish whiskey. She asked the kids if they wanted to go with her but they wanted to watch a television show called Oh Susanna and said no. She had gone that night because it was a holiday and sent some alcohol up to my dad because they don't get it up in the logging camp because you weren't allowed to send it through the mail yourself. So uh, that's the reason where she went to that night. But she had bought, I guess, a bottle to bring home. And she had grapes, apparently. Yes. Those were my last words to my mother. Oh, my but, gosh. Mom, don't forget the grapes because she asked if we wanted to go with her, and we didn't. We wanted to stay home, so... She said, okay, then, and I said, when I was watching her walk down to catch the bus, I said, don't forget the grapes. And those were the, the last words. Evelyn was an attractive 39-year-old woman who stood 5 feet 6 inches tall, had brown eyes, dark brown hair, and a Roman nose. On the night of her murder, she was smartly dressed in a skirt matched with a blue and green blouse and a green sweater and black high-heeled shoes. Because it was cold, she was wearing her navy blue coat and red gloves. Evelyn left the house at 8pm and caught the bus to Commercial Drive, stopping at Louis' grocery store to buy Sharon's grapes. She transferred to a downtown bus, went to the liquor store on West Pender, where she bought two bottles of whiskey, one that she sent to Richard and another to take home. A bus driver who recognised her picture in the newspaper told police that she left his bus at Broadway and Penticton Streets around 10.20pm. The driver remembered a man also getting off at that stop. Detectives believed that Evelyn was walking down Penticton Street when she was grabbed and dragged into a lane just two blocks from her house. Albert Jill was crossing Pemberton Street at East 7th Avenue around 10.30pm when he heard a woman scream coming from the lane. 
He glanced in the direction of the scream, decided it was just teenagers and ignored it. He told the reporters that the screams were spaced close together, just long enough between for a person to draw in breath. Don Varner, who lived close to where Evelyn's body was found, told police that a noise woke him about 11pm. He told them that he heard moaning sounds about two or three minutes apart. He looked out the back window, didn't see anything, and then went back to sleep. Varner's son, 19-year-old Bobby, said he drove home around 11 o'clock and saw a woman with a face all bloodied in the lane. He didn't get out of the car because he thought she'd been beaten up and her assailant might still be around, so he drove off to find police. By the time he returned home to phone police, they'd already been called by John McKenna. McKenna, a Canadian National Railway employee, had just left his house and was walking up to Broadway to meet a friend who drove him to work. There was a full moon that night, and as he glanced down the lane, he saw Evelyn's body. He didn't know what was wrong with her, so he left her and went and met his driver at Penticton and Broadway. They came back together and took a flashlight into the lane. They walked to within about 30 feet of the body and then decided they'd better not go any further because it looked pretty awful and they didn't want to mess up anything for the police. Evelyn had been stabbed in the neck, the chest, her back, each wound delivered with such force that the whole of the blade had entered her body. Two brown paper bags were found near her body. One contained the grapes, the other a bottle of Canadian Club Rye with a receipt from a liquor store on West Pender Street. At daylight the next morning, police searched the lanes, ditches, garbage cans and yards in the area, trying to find either the murder weapon, a purse or some identification. Other police went from door to door to find out if anyone had seen or heard anything that could help the investigation. Because there was no identification on Evelyn's body, police gave a full description to the radio stations. So how did you find out? Uh, it was a very strange night. I uh, expected her home. She didn't come home and uh, I was up all night. I was just, I just had a I don't know. I had this awful, awful feeling. I sometimes get these things. Don't mm. ask me why, yeah. I, but I do. And uh, I, I said, I, I said to my brother, uh, "This mum's not home yet." And, and I just, I heard on the radio that a body had been found. And I just phoned the police station, and I said, "I think that's my mum." Mm. And I phoned my auntie Helen, and I said. And my Annie Helen said, no, she's not here. And I said, well, Mom didn't come home last night, and they found somebody. So it was my Annie Helen and, and her husband uh, that identified her. Several hours later that day, 10-year-old Peter Brookfield was visiting the Varners with his family, and he started to explore the neighbourhood. He found Evelyn's black cloth purse in a garbage can a block away from the murder site. Inside was $27, her identification, and a hanky. Because all the garbage cans had already been thoroughly searched, police believed that the killer lived in the area and had dumped the purse in the garbage as he passed by it sometime that day. They began a background check into all males living within a 10-block radius of the murder. Robbery was quickly ruled out, and while Evelyn had not been raped, police determined that the assault was sexually motivated. Police told reporters, 
We believe there was a man looking for a woman, any woman, and the victim happened to come along. She resisted, and the killer stabbed her. Having gone over the line and afraid of the consequences, he continued stabbing her in a frenzy. The killer must have been covered in blood, and someone must have seen him. At around 8am on Saturday, April 5th, eight blocks from where Evelyn was murdered, and just two days afterwards, a man wielding a knife threatened a 42-year-old woman at Broadway and Commercial Drive. She told police he was between 25 and 30, 5 foot 10, 150 pounds, with a fair complexion and wearing a blue jacket and brown pants. She said he stopped her and he showed her a stag-handled knife which he held in one hand while rubbing the blade in a threatening manner with his other hand. It was the only lead the police had and while three men were taken in for questioning, none of the men were arrested. By the end of the year, police had drawn a blank. In the 1958 Vancouver Police Department annual report, Chief George Archer wrote, Every known sex offender in the city and surrounding areas has been questioned, and the questioning of residents in the area has been pursued endlessly. Hundreds of letters have been followed up for the slightest clue, but at the time of this report, no one has been connected with this crime. The case is still an open file, and work is continuing, running down leads and interviewing persons. Not only did Frank and Sharon lose their mother, they were hounded by media and the public. Jack Webster, a well-known radio personality, emphasised her drinking that afternoon and suggested that she was out gallivanting around and that in some way the murder was her own fault. You know, newspapers, they embellished the bad stuff. There was a time lapse. Where was she? What was she doing? Uh, you know, was she drunk when she left? And this kind of stuff. We were hounded, too. I mean, they, they would sit outside our house, even years ago. Eh? Really? Oh, yeah. They sat outside our house and, and tried to take pictures and, and that. And, and when my aunt and uncle, when, when they came back from identifying my mom, they were out there trying to take pictures and that. Yeah, sometimes they're, they're kind of ghoulish. Well, I made a big deal about the two drinks. Well, I don't even think it was probably two drinks. You know, we'd moved and everybody was happy and it was just like welcome in kind of thing and my mum knew the real estate people. Shortly and after his wife's murder, Richard adopted Frank and Sharon. He kept the family in the house and hired a housekeeper to take care of the kids while he was away at work. Frank eventually joined his stepfather as a logger and Sharon married and moved out in 1961. In 1985, after a story appeared about Evelyn's murder in the West Ender newspaper, a resident at the 2600 block on East 8th Avenue told police that he'd found a rusted switchblade with a bone handle on the overhang of his rear garage roof. The knife had only minor weathering due to exposure, but it couldn't be determined if it was the actual murder weapon. Evelyn's case has not been reopened, to Sharon and Frank's knowledge, But in 2008, 50 years after their mother's murder, Sharon received a phone call from the Vancouver Police Department. They told her that they wanted to return her mother's wedding ring, found on her body the night of her death, and they'd like to give her back the bottle of Irish whiskey. When it was uh, the 50-year anniversary, the police had gotten back in touch with us 
and a couple of the guys were working on cold cases. And so we were able to get back a couple of things that my mom had died with. There was a bottle of rye in a bag, and the, the policeman said, uh, it, it's over 50 years old now. And I said, well, you and the fellas have a drink. If you're enjoying Cold Case Canada, why not buy Eve a coffee? Go to evelazarus.com. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast on the 1958 murder of Evelyn Roche is based on a chapter from my book, Cold Case Vancouver, as well as interviews with Evelyn's children, Sharon and Frank, who were just teenagers at the time of her murder. And thanks so much to everyone who took the time to drop a review or a five-star rating on Apple this week. It's really great to get the encouragement, but good reviews also help the podcast to get out to more people. And you can also visit my website, which is at evelazarus.com, for more information on my books and podcasts. And if you'd like to join in the conversation about this and other murders, check out my Facebook group page, Cold Case Canada. I'm Eve Lazarus, and I'm a reporter and an author based in Vancouver, British Columbia. I host and produce Blood, Sweat and Fear, the story of Inspector Vance. Vance wasn't a police officer, as his title suggests. He was the first forensic scientist to work for a police department in Canada, and certainly the first to carry a badge and a gun. Vance was so good that he was known as the Sherlock Holmes of Canada, and his forensic skills were so advanced that in 1934, there were seven attempts on his life by criminals afraid to go up against him in court. Each episode follows a different major crime that Vance helped to solve. You can find Blood, Sweat and Fear on Apple, Podbean or your favourite podcatcher.